Hello, Pastor Kevin of Woodland Fringe Church here. Currently, I am on sabbatical. This is my last Sunday on sabbatical. If you've been tuning in for any number of weeks, I've been introducing each of these sermons because I'm pulling them out of the vault. Um, I'm the one personally who records my sermons while at the church. Uh, Currently at the church, a previous pastor of Woodland Friends is preaching today. But as this is November 7th, I thought it would be uh, timely to do a sermon based from a Thanksgiving series. I actually intend to do another Thanksgiving series of two Sundays, beginning next Sunday, as I return. But for this Sunday, I'm going to be sharing for you one of my favorite sermons, also one of the hardest sermons for me to personally listen to, because it still um, does to me what it did to me while I was preaching, and you'll hear that soon enough. But it is Psalm 105. I originally preached this November um, 20th, 2016. Enjoy. Well, it was one of those weeks where uh, Friday night or Saturday morning, God decided to go with a different chapter. So So we're in Psalm 105 this morning, if you want to be turning there. And today, I hope you like Scripture because you're going to hear a lot of it. And if you want to follow along in Scripture, if you have outlines, many of the Scriptures that I'm going to be pulling from are on those outlines. If you want to turn ahead, or of course they'll be on up here in the English substandard version. (laughs) Speaking of that version, though, why don't we stand up for the reading of the Lord's Word. We're just going to read the first six verses today, so please stand in honor of hearing God's Word. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 6. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, I come before you completely unworthy of all that you have given me so abundantly. So thank you for that. Father, may these words be more than just moving in us. May they compel us to action. May we be restless and in distress until we do what your hand tells us to do. Father, may the gospel breathe new life into us today, starting with myself. And in order for that to happen, we need your Spirit's voice to speak to us. So please get me out of the way and say what you would desire. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Do you know truly where you came from when you were converted from an unbeliever to a believer? Do you truly grip that conversion? Conversion spiritually is what happened to Israel. 
Abram, the first Jew, also the first Gentile, since he was a pagan, <laughs> converted out of the middle of nowhere, called by God, blessed by God, saved by God, and from him every nation is to be blessed. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture because of how clear and vivid and well it lays out the gospel, Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says the enemy is at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says we all have been there. Maybe you remember, or maybe this describes you now. And you feel led by, controlled by, enslaved to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. You remember and you wanted to, or you want not to be a glutton, but the food is so good. You want to stop that habit, but you know you've got to have it. You want to stop resorting to this action or to that habit or to this deed when you seek comfort or peace, but you are enslaved to it, shackled by it, shackled by sin and its desires. You cannot stop your mind from going to those dark places. You cannot stop your temper. You cannot stop your lusting, your need for more and more, and you cannot stop it. And like the rest of mankind, by nature, Paul says, we are children of wrath, meaning it is inevitable. There is nothing that we can do if by nature, our very nature, we seek to rebel against God's kingship, then we can expect the wrath of God to rage against us as we wage against God's ways and all that we do. Unless we are saved. Do you feel the helplessness? The hopelessness? Nobody has a chance. Nobody has one ounce of a chance. We are dead. And by nature, children of wrath. And it's in this state of misery, death, and helplessness, no hopelessness. Where Israel would find themselves again and again, and where we find ourselves. I've done it again. What do I do? And the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name.
make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises. Tell of all of his wondrous works and the only way that you and I can break free from sin and free from wrath is to live in thanksgiving to God. We receive salvation. Excuse me. We receive salvation by no part of our own works. And we respond to God and live life entirely out of thanksgiving. Paul tells the Colossians, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So give thanks to the Lord, the psalmist says. Call upon his name. If any of you read the first chapters of Genesis, we see that phrase almost as bookmarks. In genealogies it says, During those times they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Or when Abraham moves from place to place and sets up altars, it says, And there he called upon the name of the Lord. It is a proclamation of God's presence. It is an invitation to his presence. It is an invoking of his name. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon the name of Jesus. Then the psalmist encourages to make known his deeds among the nations. And one such way is exhorting one another by singing about his great works. In the context of this psalm, the psalmist lays out God's redemptive history with Israel throughout, throughout Psalm 105. But the author of Hebrews, as we went to last week, we go to them again this week, and we see the author there connect dots for us. The book of Hebrews is a great book to see how the Old Testament fits right into the New. The author connects God's redemptive history through Israel, blessing the nations of the world, as God would say to Abraham. But the greatest act of God's wondrous work is the propitiation once and all, and for all, taking away our sin. Read with me in Hebrews 10. The author states, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Do you hear that? Do you hear the psalmist saying that? He says, give thanks, invoke his name, sing to him, declare his works, remember his works. And look at what he says next. I love this. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Glory in his holy name. Boast about, talk about, shine, refer to, glorify God's name. Well, what has he done? Why? The psalmist also then says, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And though it sounds like a commandment, I'm pretty sure the psalmist is talking about what should be a natural reaction. You cannot help but rejoice in the Lord whenever you seek Him. It's what He's there for. You and I are made to worship Him. And when we come and behold Him and all that He has done, putting an end to sin, putting an end to hell, putting an end to Satan, putting an end to death, to the wrath of God, and then exchange giving us His favor, His righteousness, His adoption, we cannot help but rejoice. Our hearts should know nothing else but to explode in awe and wonder and rejoicing. But, as a Christian... I know sometimes it's easy to be down. Sometimes it's easy to say, I'm such a sinner. It's easy to admit it's difficult. It's easy to say, I feel like the old self. So that is why the psalmist encourages us, seek the Lord and His strength, not our own. Don't seek for the redeemed me. Seek for the Redeemer. Does that make sense? Don't look in the mirror and say, Kevin, you're being a bad Christian. Look to God and say, I want to be more like you. That makes sense? Seek His presence continually. This is a desperate thing, this seeking. Other words describing the original Hebrew means to require it. It means to secure it, to search out by any method. It is a striving, it's a beseeching, it's a yearning. Glory in the works of Jesus, our God, who can handle the weight of the world, who can overcome the power of sin, who can redeem the darkened soul of man. And not only glory in his name, but seek him all the more. Seek his presence continually as a Christian. All 27 years of my Christian life, I do know it's hard. <laughs> I know that there are times of backsliding. 
I know that there are times of wonder, is he there? It's why the psalmist is commanding it. Seek him, because we always don't want to. I don't know about you, but in this fallen world, I have a lot of love-hate relationships with things that I think I need and sometimes wonder if I don't know if I do need them. (laughs) Among those things, I know not all of you are familiar with it, but Facebook is one of those things. Sometimes I get on Facebook and it just depresses me (laughs) to see friends and to see family and to see folks that I know and knew just talking about and doing things that really, if it does one thing, it does encourage me to pray for them. So I guess that's a good thing. I have a news application. Some of you still use things called newspapers. I don't know what those are. But I have news applications on my smartphone, and I really don't know why, because... Again, every time I look at news of world events, national events, I am encouraged to one thing, and that is pray. I have downsized my movie collection immensely, and by no means do I have a small movie collection now. And many of those movies I watch, I don't know why. I walk away feeling empty. Love, hate relationships. And then there is also the guilt sometimes that we think we need to wear as a Christian. Sins that we commit, habits we have, things we cannot put to death. Why do we struggle with that here, and why do we still struggle there? And so the psalmist is commanding, seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Friends, do you seek His presence continually? I know this is a psalm, and I know this is a poem, and maybe there's poetic license, but why not take this literal and serious? Seek his presence continually. Do you and I do that? I'll be the first to admit that every time I sit down to watch TV or to peruse the internet, am I seeking his presence continually? I don't know. I don't think so. Why not? What would be better than to be in his presence 24-7? Is there anything? I mean, if you want to, you can take this question home, think about it. I have enough to bring you an answer next week. But what would be better to be than to be in God's presence 24-7? I think many of us have this funny Christian notion that the presence of God is reserved for the afterlife. It's reserved for heaven. But the Bible paints a pretty compelling argument, it seems here, that the psalmist is encouraging the seeking of God's presence prior even to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it seems like I recall Jesus saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Friends, listen, the presence of God is accessible 24-7. Seek Him continually. Let me say that one more time. The presence of God is accessible 24-7. Seek Him continually. How do we break, for what I have, those love-hate relationships? How do we move from our failures and our flaws to the presence of God? The psalmist has already touched on it. But he returns to it as we read in verse 5. He says, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has uttered. That to me is kind of an amazing verse there. 
Because I think we in Western culture and American culture where we seek comfort and convenience and happy thoughts and rainbows and butterflies and sunshine, if we were writing this psalm, maybe, I don't know, but maybe we would say, remember the wondrous works that God has done. You know, his miracles like healing and feeding hungry people and, you know, that stuff. But the Old Testament psalmist says, remember the wondrous works, the miracles, and then he says the judgments he uttered. And throughout Psalm 105, he's going to stress those miracles, and it's not all wine and roses. <laughs> he recalls the enslavement of Joseph, the enslavement of Israel, and the plagues, and the psalmist says, judgments uttered. Remember those, he says. Remember, Christian, all that God has done to ensure your salvation. For Israel, his plagues, his judgments against Egypt and Pharaoh, and any and all enemies who would come between God's chosen people and God. Remember, Christian, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of the glory of God with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forevermore. Amen. That is why you must remember his wondrous works, his miracles, and surely his judgments. Because how is God to keep, his, keep us if he judges not the enemies who wish to do us harm? Seek his presence continually. Seek it. Diligently pursue it. Be unyielded until you are in his presence. Dwell on his miracles. Dwell on his precepts. Dwell on his judgments. And both fear and awe, be consumed by him. For the psalmist ends for us today. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. This is a very endearing name. For us, friends. Some of you might be saying that the psalmist is talking to Israel here. Not, he's talking to us. Paul says to the Romans, For not 
all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, in the entirety of Romans, Paul says over and over, bloodline means nothing. Read Romans 4. And the promise of faith is what counts for Abraham's offspring. Paul says it clearer. I don't think he can get any clearer than this in Galatians 3, 16 and verse 29. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And then in verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Point being, the psalmist is prophetically referring to God's chosen ones. His church, God's people, and it is a very endearing term. It is a particular love that God has for his church. It is a particular purchase that God has done for us through Jesus. Because this means that instead of receiving what is due to us, namely his wrath, instead of being wiped off the face of the earth, instead of peering into the fiery eyes of God, we receive his adoption. Why? Because God has not acted upon his wrath, he has acted upon his love by sending his son Jesus for all who would believe. Paul finishes what we started. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, the life of a Christian is a life of thanksgiving. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So do we know where we've come from, believer? Do we truly grip that conversion? Friends, we were dead. God has made us alive. We deserve wrath. Jesus took it and gave us his righteousness. We have rebelled and rejected God, but God has been merciful and adopted us in we have lived lives of selfishness and greed, but God inspires us to live lives of thanksgiving and generosity. We once lived alienated and lost lives, but thanks be to God that we can seek his presence continually. And through the spilt blood of Jesus Christ and the power and grace of his Holy Spirit, we are invited in his presence here now and forevermore. 
I think it would be appropriate to end with a doxology, hymn 815. I'd like to invite pianists to come forward and let's sing that together and pray. Why don't we stand for this? 815. attacked me this week, showed me who I was and many times who I still am, but Father, by your grace and your Holy Spirit's power, I long to be more like you, and in those moments when I'm not, let me not look at the redeemed me, but let me look at the Redeemer. Father, help me to tremble before you, help me to be more like your son Jesus. Help me to share Jesus with others, not only in word, but also in action and deed. Father, may I trust your word. Whenever Paul says, we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Father, help us to be rooted and built up in you, established in the faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for your grace that knows no bounds. We thank you for your mercy. Father, as we leave these doors, may you leave with us because we are seeking your presence continually. We ask and we pray all these things in the name of our Lord, Savior, Christ, and King. Amen. Amen.